In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. Hope everyone's day is beautiful. Hope the sun is shining, the wind is at your back, and the birds are singing. Got a great show for you today. We have uh, a very interesting individual that I got to admit he is uh, really fun to talk to. And I think everyone that is watching or listening to this is really in for a treat. Rob, I can give you a quick introduction, but you did. I think you do a great job at explaining who you are and I thought that I would just kind of throw it to you and give you the canvas to paint, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's great to be here, and it's um, an honor. I'm honored just to be a part of this podcast. It's truly the spirit of what we're all about, and just making it happen, and living life, and really building relationships with the people around us. So we had a chance to have a conversation just before this, and it just spurred into, hey, let's throw it right into the podcast. So I'll spare all the stuff. I rather you know you can learn a little bit more about me. Uh, originally from Long Island, New York. I grew up, went, got my master's degree in mathematics. I've traveled the world. I lived in China for two and a half years. I came back. I got my MBA. I ended up at Microsoft. I uh, got a degree in finance. It's It's been a, all ups and downs, but all that stuff just can kind of describe a lot about the past me. Who I am right here, right now with you in this moment, this is going to be us sharing a real, a great intellectual conversation, and I'm looking forward to that. Wow, that was so well put. You left out the captain of the rugby team, man. I can't oh, I forgot that. about that. <laughs> I, I, I know you like that one. Yeah, so, you know, I think we can just jump right in. It seems that both of us have found ourselves at some sort of a crossroads in life. And I, I think it's more than just us. I think it's the world finding its way. And a lot of times I think it's it's – I don't know if it's this generation of boomers that are passing on or if it's this world of finance or – let, let me jump in with this question. Since you have a background in finance and mathematics, it seems to me that we're suffering from the abstract nature of functional models, Rob. What, what is going on with, with, with the world of these abstract functional models, finance and, and mathematics? What's going on with that? Well, that's an interesting question. Actually, the 
something that comes to mind is one of the first things that our finance professor talked to us when we when we're thinking about investing and we're thinking about the future. So when you're thinking about investing in a 401k or your retirement plan or something, one thing that you have to think about is not just the amount of money that you want when you're retiring, but the utility of that money. And so that requires you that that's not actually a logical question. That's an emotional question. That's a question of what is $5 worth to you today versus if you invested it for 30 years and it turned into $130 or whatever it might be, depending on the interest rate, how much do you really value that cup of coffee today and getting to sit down and have a really phenomenal conversation with someone and really enjoy the moment where you are. And so, yeah, we can, we can get really wrapped up in the logic of where we are today and we have finance and we have math and we have all these tools that help us better prepare for the future. But we also can't forget that the, that the future is an imagined construct and it's it's not a guarantee. It's not something that we have for sure. So how do we make the most of where we are today? And I think we're losing a lot. We're losing a lot of of that in the in the conversations and the logics and the formulas and the math and everybody's trying to get everything so perfect for the future. But what are we losing sight of here today? Yeah. What do you think we're losing sight of here today? I, I would say it's sitting down and having a meaningful, thoughtful <laughs> conversation. That's that's one thing. Uh, you don't see that a lot. Social media more and more is is pulling our heads. Gravity the, the gravity is getting. Uh, I'm not a physics major, major, but it seems like gravity is is uh, increasing as our heads are getting heavier and heavier and more tilted downward. It's that much harder to just look up and and ask someone a question and you know to ask them or even to compliment someone or to to, to bring the energy and the enthusiasm that you do on a daily basis <laughs> and with this podcast. That's a rarity. It's not something we see. It's not the norm. And and it's becoming easier and easier to just write that off as an excuse. Yeah. Well, thanks for the kind words. For me, I get excited about seeing a real people. I get excited about real conversation. And it reminds me that everybody's got these personas. Everybody has these ideas of who they think they are, or better yet, who they were told that they are, or who they think that they might want to be. But the truth is when you sit down with someone, if you talk to them for an hour, you really begin to understand that that person's kind of just a different version of you. And once you do that, you can begin to start seeing them as, hey, this person has these kind of problems or, hey, they, maybe they can help me out with this thing or maybe they have a different perspective. And it's such a holistic approach to overcoming adversity. And it's so simple. You sit down and you just talk to somebody and you begin learning about their journey and comparing notes. It's almost like, all of us are on this giant yellow brick road and we're trying to figure out a way and we all have a map and some of us has different destinations, but people forget to stop and talk and ask directions or look at the signs. And so that's why I, I get excited about it, man. I'm stoked to talk to you and I've had so many cool guests to get to come on here and I get to learn so many different things. And the, the truth is, as doom and gloom as it is right now, there's so much beauty around you. There's so much life around you. And more than that, there's so many opportunities if you're willing to take a chance on yourself. I, I definitely agree. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely all for it. I can say that the the nature of us connecting is very true to you put the energy out in the world. You have this podcast. I have my podcast. And, yeah. and I think we've, we've bonded a little bit over what it's been like to go through that process and to not have it all figured out, but to be seeing the joy in that process and to be showing up, getting a little bit better and relating and connecting to extraordinary people and their stories on their path. Everybody is walking a different path, but we can sit and we can walk alongside them and reflect with them 
we can't go back and talk to ourselves in the in the past, but we can prepare for the future. And so I, I'm certain I'll get a chance to to talk more about a little bit of the ways I think. But just just for everything you just said, we do have value in our experience if we're willing to share it the right way and the right time and place. Right? We can't just be walking around trying to preach like we have all the right ideas. I've certainly gotten myself into trouble acting like I have it all figured out. And and I never I never try to truly. It's just a matter of. Just, I, I think it's just when you come off, when you try to be confident and you try to portray your ideas, it, it can be received the wrong way. And that can be equally as dangerous. So I'm always, I'm always trying to be careful with that and my tone and making sure that it's the right time and place. But a podcast is definitely, if you're listening to this, you, you signed up to listen to some people share their thoughts. And so with, with that, with that said, as like a disclaimer, you know, we share them a little bit more passionately and anyone that's listening knows it, we're trying to listen for intent, trying to listen for what is the true value that we're trying to, to, to get at. And we're trying trying to have the answers, but we're trying to ask better questions and get closer to better answers together. That's really well put. You had mentioned the idea about logical thinking and emotional thinking. Maybe you can drill down on that a little bit. Right. So this is, so obviously I became interested in finance because well, I never had any kind of formal experience with it. Growing up, I, I grew up pretty poor and I wanted to learn, you know, how I can better put myself and my family in a position to to be more successful and mm-hmm. to not have to be riddled with the same constant problems. You know, if, you, if you're paying the same bill late every month, this is just, it, it, why not pay it on time or ahead of time? If you're on the same cyclical pattern of just being late and paying a fee. No, it just, it just, it made me start to think about how the decisions that I make, how the decisions that the people in my life make, uh, how they affect us where we are now and in the future. Now we can't go back and change the past, but we can use these lessons that we're talking about, our experiences, the reflection, the valuable learnings. We can use other people's experience. And then from that, we create wisdom because knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Intelligence and wisdom are not the same thing because, because wisdom really only comes from reflecting on experience. And so I try to spend as much time as I can, as I can doing that and welcoming as many of my close friends and, and colleagues and peers and mentors, teammates, the people I love and care about to join, but you can't force people to do that. But for me, it's been a large process of connecting with that emotional side of my brain that says like, wow, I'm, I'm really not happy about the way that the past went but I can't change the past. So what can I do right now to prepare for the future? And that's, that's kind of the logical progression. What can I do right now to prepare for the future? That's the logical side of the brain. The emotional side comes in and says, well, you right now is going to be the past you very soon. Mm-hmm. And you're either going to be upset or you're going to be happy about what the past you is doing, or you're kind of neutral, but Basically, let's let's say you're either going to be happy or you're going to be upset about what the past you is just doing. So, how do you make sure that the past you is constantly making taking care of the present you? And the reason I like to think about it that way is because present me exists. Present me is real. I'm here today. I'm able to have this conversation with you. The future me is not guaranteed. Whether it's one day, ten years, twenty years, how are you going to get someone to really start caring about the, the idea of something that doesn't really exist? And the past me. It's, it's already done. It's happened. It's in stone. It's it's solid. Even a minute ago before we had this conversation, there's nothing I could do to change that. So how can I make sure in this continuous ongoing loop that the past me is taking care of present me? Because that's the, that's the relationship I can control. 
with who I am right here, the way I feel, the way that I show up, the relationships that I have, those are all based on my past decisions. And those past decisions are based on what I'm doing right now. So I'm focused on that side of the loop versus, you know, how can I make sure I set myself up for the future, but burn every bridge along the way and, 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 you know, do whatever I have to do and grind. Like I'm not willing to let go and forget about the people in my life that are most important, the relationships, the things that I need to do. But in, in every step and every capacity, it's about how do I show up as I want to right now so that I can in the future be saying, this is present me now. And I'm, and I'm glad that past me made those decisions and took those actions. Yeah, that's, I love that, man. I'm going to have to, once we stop this, I'm going to have to play this back and kind of go over it again. It's yeah. There's a lot of meta thinking and there's a lot of jumping from, from, from presence to, to future to past. So it, it's a lot of thinking. I admit that. So it's beautiful. If anyone is following along, it'd be a good time to, to, to play it back. <laughs> well, it makes sense because, you know, it actually reminds me of a George Orwell quote that says, he who controls the present controls the past. He or he who controls the present controls the future. And he mm-hmm. who controls the past controls the present. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in a weird way, I would add too that maybe the future us exists, but it's not concrete yet. Because if you're in the present, you can visualize what you want to be like. And while that doesn't exist, you can point yourself in that direction. And that might affect the relationship on some level. But a lot of people, if you, if you take that whole example and you just think to yourself, man, if I burn all my bridges, I could have lots of money over here. But th- that's not looking into the future at all. Like You could burn those bridges, but then you can never cross them again. And then what kind of a relationship are you going to have to that from which you came if you can't cross those bridges? And it almost seems that in today's world, the idea of money or the idea of wealth or the idea of success seems to be, for some people, so powerful that they're willing to burn those bridges. And I think that that's one thing we're seeing in the world today is people like you, people like me, and people listening to this are coming to this idea of like, I don't want to burn those bridges. I'd rather have less and keep those bridges there. What do you think? I th- that's it's an interesting perspective, right? And it's like the wholesome approach. And yeah. what what I was what I'm what I'm thinking about heavily is like how do you maximize everything that you have and and still okay. be making the smart decisions. So from a finance perspective, just because it makes sense to everyone, if you have if you have a a thousand dollars today, in ten years, if you did nothing with it, it's not worth a thousand dollars anymore. It's worth less because the idea of interest and, and inflation. The, the idea, basically, you, you discount that value back by 10 years. So in, in 10 years, how much money would a thousand, without getting too much into finance, yeah. in 10 years, how much would a thousand, you know, would a would, thousand dollars need to be like, you'd have to grow it by whatever it is. And inflation rates right now are crazy. So let's say it, it grew by a simple number, like in just one year, let's use an easy number. Like in one year, let's say if inflation was 10%, then that would mean that you would need $110 in the future to be the same as a hundred dollars today. So the, the, what I would really, without giving like financial advice is just saying, if you did nothing with your money, you're, you're losing automatically. So what do you need to be doing to make sure, and this is just a financial example, but what do you need to be doing to make sure that you and your money and your experiences and your relationships are growing the, in the way that they should be so that they're growing on par with you and you're getting to where you need to be and you can be happy about what 
your previous decisions were. Because if in 10 years you did nothing and then you just look back at that pot of money, you know, that thousand dollars, you're going to say, wow, this really dwindled away and is not worth nearly as much as if I would have done something smart and invested it. And, and the, the moral of this is not about what to do with your money. Right. It's about, to me, this is the lesson is what to do with my life. And when I'm in these in-betweens, like we started this conversation by talking about the fact that, you know, actually I, I was laid off from my job. I was working at Microsoft until January. And while I, you know, a lot of people are going through really hard, challenging things right now, for me, what keeps me optimistic, what keeps me, you know, being able to choose joy is the fact that I know that this is going to be an interesting story in the, an interesting chapter in the story. And I know it's not to sound like, well, life is so cool. They're like, Oh, like I'm not enjoying pain. Like, like I'm sort of like psych psychotic. Just, I know that I'm going to keep taking action. I'm going to keep working with people in meaningful ways. I'm going to take my time, slow down, grieve where I need to mm -hmm. be there to support the people in my life where, where they need and, and then make the next decision that's right for me. So without overwhelming myself with anxiety in, in, in negative emotions or inappropriate emotions during this, this challenging time of my life, I'm, I'm just preparing and I'm being, I'm continuing to take the actions where I'm going to be able to say, when all this is said and done, I'm glad that I was doing these things during that, that challenging time period. Yeah, that's really well said. I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, this is kind of out there, but I think that the world is moving in a direction that really you or I, we can't control the direction of it, but we can control the meaning of what's happening. And I think that's true for trauma or events in your life. You can't control what happens in your life, but you and you alone get to control the meaning of that event. And maybe because this thing happened, I'm going to work harder on my podcast. I'm going to build better relationships. I'm going to become the best that I can. You know, sometimes you'll see people in traumatic situations go one of two ways. And it's either because this happened to me, I'll never love again. Or because this happened to me, I'm going to love better than I've ever loved again. Right. And if you can see those opportunities, these things that happen to you as an incredible opportunity, then I think that you can react in a way that's going to be beneficial for everything in your life and everyone around you. And the truth is, it's not really that much different than yesterday. You're speaking from a guy who lost his job. You know, one minute I'm 26 years UPS driver. The next minute I don't have a check coming in to feed my family. But there's something that is happening, not only with you and me, but to the world today. And maybe it's perspective. Maybe it's maybe it dovetails with your ideas of finance. Like, let me ask you this question. It seems to me in the world of finance today that we are seeing the idea of money change. Like we're spending trillions of dollars at Ukraine. We're we're throwing trillions of dollars to S to Silicon Valley Bank, where the the CEO was also on the board of the directors for the Fed. Like this idea of money, this is almost synonymous with corruption. And it seems to me that money has a discount rate. The older you get, the less it's worth. And it almost seems like the inflation rate is so quick and so moving at such an accelerated path that it's disintegrating in front of us. You know, you have. FTX, just billions of dollars in value, poof, gone. There's no doubt in my mind that the market in which, if people look at the stock market, they're just looking at a rigged game. So what do you, when you, is it possible that you and I are going to be looking back on this time in 20 years from now and being like, oh yeah, that's when we had paper money. That's when we had a different idea of money. What do you think? Uh, un undoubtedly, right. As everything gets more and more digital, di digital, there's uh there's going to be less and less need for the paper money, but it's also what, what's important is, 
is the I think what you'd be paying attention to, what what everyone should be paying attention to, what I would try to pay more attention to is the fact that money, paper money, any money is all an imagined construct. Yes. It's it's all actually <clears throat> it's designed to allow us to have the flow of commerce to it represents trust between us as human to human in the way the phenomenal book Sapiens, you know, talks about yeah. ev human evolution. And maybe I know you, you listen to a lot of audiobooks and your time <laughs> driving. Um, but just talks about the way that we've established trust and the way that we've been able to grow as human beings is, is through trust. 97% of the money in the world is credit it is not actually, you know, is, is not even tangible or backed by anything. It's just us believing in the potential of each other as organizations, as humans, as companies, in every in every aspect, it's based on credit. So it's it's us believing in each other, and we use money as a vehicle to to ex express that exchange. But I actually even also heard was listening to an interesting podcast by uh, Dr. Huberman, and he was really talking about the only actual currency in the world. You know, we ha we have money, but the only real currency is dopamine. It, and that's mm. the only thing that is is real and tangible and everything else we use is as a way to express and exchange our means of obtaining more of that but to, to, without abstracting too far into the biology yeah. because I'm not the expert there it's just the reminder to myself is money is only as valuable as what I'm able to do with it and so if i have if i were to pass away with 2 million dollars locked away in a super in a secret safe that no one knows about it's not worth anything to anyone. If you're stranded on a desert island and you have six hundred million dollars in cash, what at best it can give you a little bit of shelter and maybe you can burn it for a couple seconds of warmth. <laughs> but it's not. It's not truly worth. It's it's what it's worth is it represents what we can do with it. And when we say we want more money, when we say we want less bills and less stress and things like that, what I've had to spend a lot of time reflecting on is but what we're really saying is we want the things that that money can lead can lead to what they what it represents we can get with that whether and you have to go even deeper too into when we you know we talk about the things that we really want you go into maslow's hierarchy of yeah. needs and go from physiological the, the the basic things food water shelter sex to safety and security love and belonging self-esteem and actualization at the top we want the things that we think money can actually get for us but we're losing sight of that because all we can do is stare at money and go on social media and see how much everybody else is making and what everybody else has. And there's this the massive gap that just leads to to us being miserable. But the reality is what we're what we're saying is we don't want more money. We want the things that we think money can do. And I know that that's that's true for me. And whether anyone else wants to admit it, I know that that's true for everyone. Yeah, it's almost like you want the feeling, like you want the feeling of buying a new car. You want the feeling of having this giant mansion you want the feeling of being able to travel or you know the the feeling of freedom and that's an interesting concept too to think about in some ways you know we want our wants are somewhat imprisoning us this idea of money is sort of imprisoning us it's not only imprisoning us but it's it starves us from the things that really matter and i'll give you an example in my life as as someone who has worked you know, as a UPS driver for a long time or and knows tons of people that have maybe felt the same thing, you spend your whole life working. You get up at like five in the morning, you drop your kid off at school, you don't see your wife, you don't see your kid, you don't see your parents, and you go work for somebody else for 10 or 12 hours. And you come home with this piece of paper at the end of five days. And, you know, it, it's just so 
sad that you give up everything you love in order to make money or to provide production for somebody else. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that. And that's what I mean when this, this concept of money is changing, whether it's dopamine, whether it's a feeling, or I, I really have so much respect for the younger generation that are beginning to see through the lies that were perpetrated by the boomer generation. It was probably perpetrated on them. And it's an interesting concept to see the values changing. It's almost like you can see the generations changing as you look through them. It's a fascinating thing to think about. I guess um, the the way in which we're living is is changing so rapidly. The ideas of money are changing. What What is it that you think are the biggest obstacles in the world that you were living in, in the world of finance and mathematics, what do you think are some of the obstacles that were in the way for you to move forward? I would say a lot of when, when I was dealing with math, a lot of the things that, that threw me off in terms of obstacles was actually dealing with other people's reservations and other people's hesitations <laughs> towards mathematics. Cause okay. when you start talking about math, people immediately throw up, throw up flags and they're like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not a math person. They immediately write themselves off as not being in that conversation. I think really just to save themselves mental stress and, and mental energy, because in large part, and a lot of what you're talking about reminds me is like math and learning anything challenging, including finance, including data analytics, including entrepreneurship and learning how to start a podcast. It requires mental energy and we mm -hmm. have to strain ourselves to do it, whether you're learning a language or you're learning, working on your relationship or working on yourself or just, you know, reflecting on a challenging experience, which is one of the hardest things in the world to do, which is why it's nice to be able to do it with someone else. You have to use your mental energy. And that's just something that we don't want to do. Our brains are not programmed to do. Our brains are designed to keep us safe and use the least amount of energy so that we can continue to enjoy our lives and stay safe and, and, and survive right? Their brains are programmed for survival, but we can also reprogram them and think differently to be able to it let, convince our brain that if we do X, then it will lead to Y and Y is a better outcome than if we would have not done otherwise. And, and like, I should go to the gym. Well, why? Your brain's like, don't do that. Just, <laughs> just go, you know, like just go, just go take a nap, just go eat a bag of Cheetos and relax, you know, like focus on conservation of energy if all else, but when you can convince your brain that doing that will, will make you healthy. Okay. Like, all right, at the same time, like healthy, why do I care? Like, why don't I, I'm healthy. I'm young. Like, but there's no problem. But then you go, you get into, I, I relate everything back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, what are the things you really care about? You know, I want to be healthy so I can what get a partner. Some people are like, I don't care. I don't want a partner care about my kids. All right. I care about my kids. I want to be able to show up for them. I want to be able to play with them. I don't want to be out of shape. I don't want to be, falling over myself or passing out in public. And, um, I don't want to be, I, I want to have good health so I can be around for my kids and, and be involved in their lives. You know, these, these different levels of why that really motivate people like, Oh, I'm going to get healthy because mm. I want things to change. I don't want, I don't want to be this, this negative. Um, I don't want to be in, in this, in this negative situation, right? I want to avoid pain. I either want to seek pleasure, or avoid pain. And in finance too, I would say that in, in that capacity, you're always looking for opportunities and you're always assessing the, 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 the 
what I do now, what I sacrifice now as an investment and what I get in the future. So whether you're talking about money and an investment in a project, you say, what are going to be the future cash flows of this project? And if, if the future cash flows are not more promising than the initial investment, then it's not a smart idea. But mm -hmm. if, if you have to put money up front, if you, you know, simple, let's use money. So it's, if you have to put a hundred dollars up front to get $200 back in the future. Okay. Most people say it's a good deal. It depends. It depends if you could go somewhere else and have another opportunity, but generically speaking, that's a good deal. If you get, if you put a hundred dollars up front to get a hundred dollars back every year for the rest of your life, that's probably a good, a good deal. If you're going to get a hundred dollars up front to get $200 back in 20 years, you're like, is that a good deal? I don't know what's $20 worth in the future. And then finance gives us a tool to be able to map that back. But it really, it's all about capturing patterns that allow us to make mm. better forward looking decisions. And I think that that's why I've come to want to learn more about finance in addition to everything else. And, and one of the biggest motivators for me, right? Why did I choose to learn finance instead of something else when I went back to school for my second master's degree? Because everybody else ran away from it. Everybody mm. else said, that's, that's the most challenging subject. That's like, I don't want to do that. I want to do something that's easier so I could just get my degree, get on and get by, which is the way our brain is designed to work. But I also was smart enough to listen to the wisdom of all my seniors, everybody who graduated, everybody in the conversations where I'm constantly looking to seek the wisdom from experience from people that have gone through it. And I'm asking them those questions. What was challenging for you? What was interesting for you? What made a difference for you? And when they tell me, Oh, I loved it. This was a great experience. I really wish I took more finance classes. If I could go back, I could have done something differently. I would have learned more about finance. I would have invested in the opportunity to learn the challenging subjects while I was in this low stakes, no stakes environment, because then I would have been in a better position or I would have had these skills. I could have learned the other things on the job. So I leaned into those things that everybody else ran away from because they, you know, they wanted to pursue something else. And I said, if I can learn these challenging things, situations, these challenging skills, I make myself more marketable and I'll be learning the insights and the nuances that everybody else is missing. That's well said. It's interesting too. It, you know, there seems to be such a seductive quality about finance. Like it's this super sexy thing or it, it appears to be maybe not when you're going to the classes, maybe it's not sexy. Maybe if people don't think math is sexy, but ultimately when you when I think of finance, I think of like Jamie Dimon has all these mansions. I just, I just think of excess and I'm wondering, is it that finance, do you think that, what is the relationship between finance and mathematics? Is finance something that is sort of um, limiting mathematics or is there, what's the relationship between finance and mathematics? It seems like finance has sort of found a way to coerce mathematics into doing things for it instead of allowing mathematics to just be free and help out the rest of the world. That's a cool point. Um, finance, you know, I think finance as it gets marketed is, is marketed as like a sexy thing. And it, if, <laughs> yeah, it's it like a Jordan Belford, I'm throwing money like our investment <laughs> bankers, like, um, it, it, but it's, it's also like, it shouldn't be because so much gets right. missed because there is a gap. Right. And, Start, start with mathematics. Mathematics is, is not the enemy. Mathematics right. is not even mathematics. Isn't it, mathematics is the tools. It's the patterns of, of reckoning. Right. It's recognizing the patterns. It's, it's 
again, human invention, like construction of like these patterns that exist. And when we paid attention to them, we realized, oh, we can organize things a lot better. We can keep track of things like having a counting system. We, we use mathematics. It's a way of thinking and we channel it into a way of thinking with numbers, but really it's, it's about logic. It's about constructing patterns, wrecking, critiquing the reasoning of others. It's, It's everything that we want in human beings, but then we, we try to distill everything down to one singular point. Like that's, that's the, that's the human condition is we want the one thing that everything is. And we try to understand everything by looking at one data point and then saying, I don't really have time. So I'm just going to understand whatever I can about this. Like you say, Oh, you're fine. Like, Oh, you're a math person. Oh, okay. Nerd. Like mm, move on. Um, like, you know, or, Oh, like you're a math person. Like, Oh, you're, you must be intelligent. It's like everyone has the capacity and, you know, to digress a little bit, probably where everything starts to go wrong. And, and the reason why more people don't take the time to invest in learning mathematics or, or think that they're not math people. Like I said, one of the challenges is people thinking that they don't have the potential or they just remove themselves from the situations is because the way that school systems are set yeah. up. Yep. And, and, and just, I'm not going to turn this into a full on rant on school systems. Go ahead, do it. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a full one prepared for that, but I would say <laughs> I have a full on rant on the way that our self-conscious mind works and the way that we start comparing ourselves to others. So when you're a kid, you're living life as, as to the max, you're living life as good as you can. You play, you laugh, you dance, you fall down. You ever watched a kid? I mean, I'm sure you have, but not in that. That's a creepy question, but you ever just watch a kid <laughs> playing and having fun? Like, you know, compare it to watching an adult, like do anything and just adults miserable, always has a frown on their face. Little kids, you know, when I'm helping take care of cousins or nephews and, and you know, just, they're just playing, they fall down, they pop right back up. Like they don't care. They don't look, you know, like almost oblivious to the world. They get covered in mud. They, they don't care what they look like. They got their food all over them. It's adorable. And we don't care because they have no inhibitions. And then you, you get older and, and in fifth grade, five years old, six years old, you enter into kindergarten. And that's the first time when you're constantly surrounded by other people, then you don't know them and they're all judging you. And you're just told you have to start conforming, you know, subconsciously and consciously, you have to start going through the motions and going through the routines. And then, you know, then you have to start learning in front of all these people and you just develop more and more of the self-conscious part of your brain. And that's also, I find it interesting. Maybe I'll one day I'll look into this on the PhD if I haven't had enough school, but <laughs> When you're about five, six years old is when you start getting the most self-conscious because you're surrounded by your peers and you're surrounded by everyone. That's also, people say, when you, before you're six years old, that's when you can learn the best. That's when your brain is the most has the most plasticity. And, and my theory, and the one that's motivated me to continue learning and to say like, okay, maybe it does, but I can still learn no matter what age I'm at if I can remove the self-consciousness is like, it's not that your ability to learn is hindered. It's your self-consciousness is flared so far up that you, yeah. you no longer are willing to try. And as you get older, you're less and less willing to try something new. You're less and less willing to try mathematics. And so mathematics, the pivotal point when I was, I used to be a mathematics teacher. And we said the, the point where you really start to see a very vivid distinction between, between people, the, the students who get labeled as math students and the students who are not is somewhere around fourth grade when fractions are introduced. Mm. And you start asking them, you start asking students like, what's three fourths plus seven eighths? You know, what's, what's five sevenths plus nine thirteenths or something, you know, as you, as you, to, when you get to that point and, and, you know, you have to start 
conceptualizing what does a fraction even mean? What is an improper fraction? What does it mean to have one and one third of something? Or when you start dividing, um, it's a huge, it's a huge dividing point because we go through it so quickly and students never get to close the loop right. on, I understand this fully and they don't just simply don't have enough time. And if they had more time and if they weren't surrounded by everyone else making them feel inadequate by the external time construct, man, how much more would be possible for everyone? And, and, and unfortunately, that's where most people start to lose the sight of them, themselves being able to engage with mathematics. And probably that leads to so many other negative interactions with mathematics to come because you really just – you start to lose your footing there. You start to slip on the ice a little bit. And then everything from there on just feels like tumbling down the mountain. Man, it's so, it makes sense. You know, you start losing people with the introduction of fractions and you're left with a fraction of what you can have. Mm, you that's know, crazy that's to think about, metaphor right? That's metaphorical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when you start dividing it, it, yeah. and you start introducing fractions, you really, you really start to, to, you start to see people fall and, and not because of potential. My, my, I'm right, not, of the course, expert. Of course. not the expert, but I, I, I'm an expert in believing in people and believing yeah. in students and every, for all the years that I've been tutoring, I know that people have so much more potential. Students have so much more potential than, than we lead ourselves to believe than I lead myself to believe, but everything else that gets in the way makes it way more messy and makes it so much harder for us to be able to see that, to be able to witness our potential and to be able to see the process when we're in it, when we're in the middle of doing something challenging. So if I can lean into that and say, this is exactly where everybody else would expect me to be self-conscious. This is exactly the point where I'm looked the most like a fool. How do I start laughing right now? Yeah. How do I start having fun with this? How do I rebrand this as, as a kid for me, it was actually, I literally did rebrand. I turned into the class clown and I was always laugh and a joke. And I never, I never would let anyone else control being able to make fun of me. I, I would do it myself, beat them to the punch and you become funny. And then you can kind of mess with everybody else. You always, if you're the controller of the jokes, right. Then, then nobody else can kind of pull one on you. But if I could rebrand that as every time I'm going through something challenging, I can find a way to find joy through it. I can find a way to find laughs through it. That led to a lot of, of challenges as well, as we could talk about like toxic positivity and, and inability to deal with emotions. But I'm glad that I've come to a place where I can cope with those things better. But I, I would say that a lot of that is just so deeply rooted in our self-consciousness. And for every time we go through something challenging, whether it's mathematics or on the emotions or getting laid off from a position, yeah. they also, like you said, they present us with an opportunity. So how do we build structures and frameworks and ways of thinking that allow us to make better forward looking decisions during the times when we're the most fearful, when we're the most anxiety filled, when we're the most challenged, when, the, when things are the most ambiguous, that's what finance gives us. That's what those tools give us. You know, the stories of the past make us feel good, but it's finance and mathematics are the tools that help us make better decisions for the future, for the challenges that we're in the middle of. The ethical use of finance and mathematics provide us that, those tools. That's probably what I can speak more of because I, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. clearly I'm not, uh, I'm not on the penthouse Jordan Belford throwing yeah. money out the back of my, you know, my, my Bentley or my, my Rolls Royce. I, I don't have, I don't care as much for the material things uh, as and many people can say, like those things have not motivated me because go back, those things have not given me the, the fulfillment or I, I haven't had experience and I haven't seen anybody who's had experience being very fulfilled with those things as, 
for yeah. some people they can and and you're and you're welcome too so i've stayed focused on the relationships and the actions and and the things i can do to improve myself and a lot of that's rooted in athletics and teamwork and yeah. and, and things of that nature but um those are the things that have really motivated me the most versus why i'm not i'm not just chasing salaries right now i'm really searching for the next opportunity in this in between time to have conversations with people in meaningful ways and think about what's going to matter if tomorrow's not promised, you know, how do I make the most of today with the people I care about the most? Yeah, that's really well said. And I couldn't agree more. I, I think that we have some real opportunities to reimagine tomorrow. To, and the way you reimagine tomorrow is by reimagining who you are right now. And that's what happens when you find yourself in a challenging situation, whether you're being bullied at school or whether everybody gets an A on their test and you get an F and the teacher's like, way to go, buddy. You got the, you got the only F, you know, or, Whenever you find yourself in a position where you probably have all the rights to be self-conscious, it's that moment. It's being, you could probably distill it down to being aware. Hey, right. this is one of those moments right here. Maybe I should try to laugh. Maybe I should try to find the opportunity. Maybe I should try to find what this is teaching me right here. And before I, before I continue down that road, I want to just take one step back because you had mentioned something about fractions and math and learning. And I was curious to get your thoughts on like abstract geometric forms. Like, you know, these these geometric forms that have you ever do you ever do psychedelics? Have I done them? Yeah. No, not not no? particularly. No. I'm a huge fan of them. Like and sometimes okay. when you do them, like you get these closed eye visuals and you can see like a tesseract or like a, a three-dimensional cube or something like that. But for someone who's a mathematician, I'm sure you're familiar with all those different forms. Do you think that those forms are actually um, like organizational and coding patterns? Would you, could you, could you call those forms organizational and coding patterns? And if so, what would you use them to organize and code for? It's an interesting question. Cause I, I've never had to quite <laughs> think about that, but uh, I do think that there, there, there are degrees and there are subsections of mathematics that get into fractorials and fractions. And it's all about the splitting of visuals and the way that kind of like refractions and lights kind of move. And the, the they're in large part responsible for the reason why our graphics are so interesting Yes, on yeah. video games and explosions and movies. And it's, it's this, this idea that they can create like massive fragments and in, 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 in ex to the exponentials, these factorials. Um, but I don't know enough about that particularly to be able to speak about you know, where that comes from um, and, and how it might be related. But I, I do think that there's, there's everything about mathematics is rooted in patterns and our yeah. brains are, I, I think there might be something interesting to consider in the way that our brain is able to pick up on patterns yeah. and perhaps maybe, there's probably something, I mean, when you, I think using any kind of psychedelic or, or drug, probably it probably has a means of unlocking a part of your brain that's previously in, you know, inhibited and previously repressed by that part, you know, from my understanding, a little bit about psychology. And I, I try to study the, the brain a lot from yeah. a metacognitive lenses. You have different parts of your brain, which most people, you know, really didn't understand until a few re years ago, except for the, the experts, but you know, you have your amygdala, which is your fight or flight yeah. response. You have your uh, 
your frontal cortex, which is in large part responsible for the narratives and, and, and think whether or not things make logical sense. And you, you have your hippocampus, which is responsible for memories. And so there's these different compartments. And that's why it makes sense to say like compartmentalization yeah. of, of experiences. Um, and, and they all work and they function together. But, and I think the more that you understand how they work and I would say how the, the brain sends signals, it's like, Oh, the frontal cortex is responsible for feeling self-conscious, let's say. So, oh, like people are looking at you. People are nervous. Then it sends the signal that the the amygdala flares up. It says you're in danger. And that's where the, yeah. the feeling of anxiety starts to come from. But that anxiety was a, an, an, evolved, an evolved trait that allowed us to survive when we were in actual real danger. It told us how to get out of it. And now it's just – it can be kind of confused because it's like uh, the danger that we're in is probably more perceived. But maybe it's like – a status-based danger. Like it's, it's, yeah. oh, I'm going to do this and I'm yep. going to be embarrassed. And then I'm going to be like, you go down a real rabbit hole. Cause that's how anxiety works. You're like, I'm going to be outcasted by society, which means <laughs> I'm not going to be able to eat dinner. I'm not going to be able to, you know, mate. I'm not going to be able to stay. I'm not going to have a pl safe place to sleep. So you're like this, this evolutionary anxiety can, seems highly related to the, the fear and the embarrassment that we feel about kind of walking into public and, and, why don't, why don't, you know, you or I just start dancing on the table, you know, for, for no particular reason. <laughs> then you see people that's interesting is when you see people who have a few drinks, they start dancing more, they start talking louder. They're, they, they're less inhibited because alcohol, the first thing that it does is it shuts down that part of the brain that's responsible for feeling self-conscious. And so with, when you, when you, if you can understand that there's a part of the brain that's working you could say working against you, it's working for you. It's mm -hmm. trying to keep you safe, but it might not be exactly what you're trying to achieve. So the, the pattern for me in there is, is less on the mathematical side. It's, it's, it's that the, the brain is working in patterns and it develops heuristics that are designed to keep you safe and comfortable and use the least amount of energy. If you're willing to critique those, there's, you know, the Daniel Kahneman in thinking fast and slow, he talks about system one and system two in behavioral economics and, and the reasons why we make these decisions. If you're willing to critique the initial thoughts that you have, you have to expend more mental energy up front. But if you do, you can, then you can make a change and then you can develop new habits. You can develop new heuristics. You can develop new ways of thinking and you can develop yourself the way that you want to be taking care of yourself today so that you can say that past me was taking care of present me. Do you think that, we have an opportunity to change our heuristics or we have a, an opportunity to change the, the triggers for being moved into anxiety or depression when we is, is being in the situation we talked about earlier where, Oh my God, I'm super self-conscious. Is that an opportunity to change the way your brain create the, the, the pattern of your thinking? Like if you can interrupt that pattern and you become aware of it, then you can change the way you think. Do you think that that's an accurate statement? For myself, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and that's the experience that I'll speak on. So okay. as much as I want to believe that it's yeah. true for everyone, and I do, I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid getting into the trap of saying like, this is the, all, you know, this is the true <laughs> thing for everyone because that just gets me like into trouble, I'm sure. But some that can be just taken out of context. But in my own experience, absolutely. Every time that I, I look, I feel self-conscious all the time and I, I'm not, People are like, wow, you're really good at public speaking. And I'm like, yeah, because I, because I suck at it. Like, because, <laughs> because I'm not good at it because I get anxious, you know, yeah. I get anxiety and I'm tired of not being able to express myself. So I lean into it. So I practice it. 
I made a podcast, not because I'm a great host, because I want to be one. And because I want to be able to align the way I see myself with the way that I want to be and a way I want to show up for the people I care about. I want to be able to express myself. I want to be able to have a freedom from that anxiety. And the only way I can do that is by facing it. The only way mm-hmm. I can do that is by practicing it. And so I have to just on a daily basis, really, I just kind of make subject myself to these situations that make me uncomfortable, that make me miserable, more or less feel the brain response. That's like, you look like an idiot. You know, you're, you get real <laughs> flush, you get warm, yeah. like the back of your neck gets hot. You start sweating and all these just this, these are the ways that the body's responding to try to tell you stop doing that. And I'm like, I know why it's telling me to stop doing that, but I'm more interested on what's on the other side of this discomfort because on the other side of the discomfort is a better me. Yeah. It's in some ways it just reminds me of there's some really great, there's some really great quotes that I remember when I think about this subject. And one of them is that, you know, every, every night you get the chance to die and every morning you get the chance to be reborn. And I think that that holds true to difficult situations where, Okay, you're standing around and something is happening and no one is standing up. What are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, what's the risk versus the reward? Is there no reward, but it's still the right thing to do? Where does that fit in into your own values and stuff? And in some ways, I think the more you subject yourself to difficult situations, to suffering in some senses, the more you, the old part of you dies and this new part is reborn that can be better at helping others around you. And that, that, that's almost like a currency in itself. If you, if you kind of manipulate it into the finance, can you share a story with us where one time you had to actually do that? I can. Yeah. You hit on a bunch of things there that really <laughs> like, at, at least I, I couldn't catch them all. Cause I was trying to be attentive listener, right? That's where, that's the trouble of being a podcast host. I go off listener. on a tangent sometime too, man. No, I, I, you're coming from me. Like I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a so good at tangenting, but, um, well, you talk about risk and reward. So that what comes to mind is like, how do you how do you assess risk and reward? Finance mm. is a complicated and mathematics are complicated and complex tools and systems that allow us to assess risk and reward on the spot and and be able to come up with ways to measure them. Right. So so that's mm. really like why I think it's such an important tool because it's it helps us for the future. And that's the challenge is like, how do we predict the future? It's easy for people to tell stories about the past because that happened. It's, it's definite. Yeah. But how are those tools helping us create a better future? And how are we help, How are they helping us in the present? Because we have to make decisions in the present. Yeah. And, and what we can't like stories from the past don't tell us exactly what's going to happen in the future. That's why whenever you're, you're waiting around, like you can, you hear all the people that come out and, and, and they talk as like, as if gurus, as if they have all the stories of all the past and in mathematics, you can have a thousand different examples that show why, let's say, theorem A is true, but that doesn't prove it. You don't you don't prove something until it's concrete, until there is, until you prove that there exists no counterexample. So it's not enough just to have a thousand examples, a million examples, a hundred billion examples. You need concrete proof that it that there's there's no way that it's not true, and most people. They can't have that because the future is, like you said, it's incomplete. It's uncertain yet. It's not written yet. And and so the the part that we're all worried about is the suffering. And then you, that's the second mm. part you really brought up is the suffering. And yeah. while I was in, you know, I got laid off and I'm in this challenging, painful, like experience of this weird in-between purgatory of life and career. And yeah. I connected, actually, I, I traveled to to Southeast Asia with a friend who was on a trip. He had just graduated. I had just been laid off. It was a very interesting intersection of the two worlds. 
um, and and two people mutually as I as I love to just invested in the relationship with each other to improve together. Um, we 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 traveled and in part of the trip we ended up in Thailand and we ended up at a Buddhist monk uh, monastery like a retreat of sorts. It was a really phenomenal experience. And what I reconnected with is actually from the book Sapiens as well, when he touches on some spirituality things and he touches on Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're not familiar with Buddhism, it's the, the crux of it from my understanding is all suffering. We're, we're all human beings and we all experience pain and pleasure, but suffering does not exist in pain. Suffering exists because we crave we either crave more pleasure than we currently have, or we crave that pain will stop. So when you're going through something challenging or you're something painful, it, the, the suffering doesn't exist because of the thing. Like you said, we're yeah. not victims of the situation where we, what it, what matters is how we're controlling, like we control how we respond to those situations. Right. Right. And so when you're in pain, when you're experiencing something challenging and going through that in the moment, the suffering that you experience is only because you crave. You crave that the pain will go away or that what you currently have is not good enough and you crave some greater pleasure than you currently have. So because of that suffering, it leads us to, to think, how? what am I doing now? How am I making the best decision for the future? I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to stand up when everyone else is sitting down. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But like you said, every if, if you go with that logic, every night you get a chance to to die every morning you get a chance you you you, you get it it's interesting that you say you get a chance to die but i do enjoy that I'll, we'll come back to that <laughs> yeah totally but you 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 get a chance to be reborn there's an interesting perspective it's like imagine right now you imagine you got to the end of your life and you had been given a second chance and you'd been given a second chance to come back and live your life right now and in a large part this is this is often part of my decision criteria and another, I'll tell you another one, but yeah, because I'm getting, I'm getting to the story. All this is just really convoluted. Like it's I said. awesome, man. Keep going with it. Go with it. But to, to get to the story, but you know, how, how do you make decisions in the moment? And imagine getting to the end of your life, 90 years old, and then you get a chance to come back and do it again. What would you do differently? And then how can you look at the decision you're about to make with that critical lens? You know, who, who am I valuing in this moment? If we don't have a system, when we talk about ethics and you talk about mathematics, you talk about all these things, these heuristics, if you don't have a system for evaluating the principles that are most important to you, what's most important to me in this decision? My relationships, the amount of money I'm going to make, my happiness, my the time that I'm going to have off from work, what, whatever it might be. It, it's hard to talk about in a general, but for that situation, what am I going to get out of it? When you say not just risk and reward, but what do I value? What's most important to me? Like showing up to this, showing up to this, uh, you know, this workout. What does it say about me and the person that I am? You know, I am someone who follows through on my commitment, or finishing my work on time, or you know, all of these things that you that you care about and you value in the relationships around you. What is most important to me in the decision that I'm going to make? And so, in a combination of the, those are kind of two of the things. When I was 23 years old and I finished my first master's degree, I had a choice between taking a full time job. At, at a school and, and teaching mathematics or moving across the world and and I and and, this, and to go live in China and I would start an education startup company and that's this is the story that came to mind because among many others this is one of the like the biggest ones that people can relate to like China you say China and people are like China <laughs> China like China China <laughs> but yeah like China China and and I was the, the decision you know a, a massive amount of ambiguity. 
what like what what happens if I go over there? What happens if you start thinking what happens if something goes wrong? What happens if something goes right? You know, you are you going to come home? How will you get back? How are you going to afford it? What's you, how are you going to make a living? All these questions and I just kept thinking to myself. But from having conversations with everyone else, when I'm 45 years old, let's say, or when I'm looking back on this decision in 20 years, I'm thinking to myself, how am I what am I going to say about what past me did? What past me chose to do or didn't do? Am I going to be glad that they played it safe and chose to get a job? And and and, and maybe I will because we're really good at telling the story backwards. Or am I going to say, man, I had an opportunity to to travel the world that I probably am never going to get a, get again. I had an opportunity to go experience a different culture, be completely immersed, be completely engaged with people, languages, dances, um, and just traveling in, in a way that you can only do when you're younger. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't have said that per se because really you can do it at any time in your life. But again, it gets harder and harder because of those social constructs and expectations. But when I had this beautiful opportunity, am I going to say I had it and I blew it? And I had, and I went to a place. I said, I went to a, a conversation with myself on my deathbed, and I'm sitting there contemplating the decisions of my life. And it's this is, I said, this is one of those decisions. And I'm going to look back right now, and I'm going to say I either went for it, I took a chance, and I, you know, however, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that if I say no to it that's going to be one of those things that's going to come back and haunt me. And it's, it's not the mistakes. Like when we say we look back, we regret the things that we didn't do. It's like, even in finance, Warren Buffett is well known for saying the biggest regrets in, in life and finance are not mistakes of commission. They're mistakes of omission. They're, they're the times when you passed and you should have acted. And those are the things that we think about the most. So I find that, you know, when I'm harnessing my own, life and my own, everything that I need to succeed. I have a bias for action. I have hyperactivity and we talked about a bunch of other stuff. Um, I just, when I make those choices, I have that bias for action because I know that I'm going to be way more regretful of what I didn't do than what I did. Yeah. That sounds like a lesson learned. It sounds like you have had something happen in the past that you were regretful from and you're like, I'm never gonna let that happen again. That's been my, my understanding is that like you said, you know, you you lean into situations because they're uncomfortable. But the only reason you do that is because you know what the consequences are. Like you know that you're probably never going to forgive yourself if you don't do them. Or, you know, I read, I love reading. Or my wife says, like, you don't read them. You listen to audiobooks, George. You're not reading them. She's all mad at me because I use this different word. Anyways. I'm right there with you because I <laughs> very, struggle to read in a massive way. The other comment, I'm just going to interject. Yeah, please, what we man. do on podcasts, I'm sorry. Um, you, you, you know, you say like, it sounds like a consequence and a lesson learned. My The question that I've been constantly and actively trying to critique on my own podcast too yeah. is, why do do we have to make the mistakes in order to learn? Or can we open our brain to be willing to, to learn? Because we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. So how do we take other people's, let's say, regrets or lessons learned, compartmentalize them, make them our own so that we can make better decisions moving forward? Why do we have to wait till we make the mistakes? And it's interesting you brought up mushrooms because one question that I was asking while I was in, or you brought up psychedelics. Yeah. One question while I was in Thailand was I went and I was arguing this point to someone and I said, we don't grow. We don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. They're like, what do you mean? How do you prove that? And I said, well, 
Think about poisonous mushrooms. Think about poisonous plants in the world. Why, why do you know not to eat those? You have to think about it because like when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, don't eat strange things. Like it's just, it's just a second nature to you. But why is it second nature? It's just conditioned into you because somebody went ahead and made those mistakes for us a long time ago. And we learned from it, right? We are because someone else went first and they ended up, you know, passing away because they ate poisonous mushrooms. You're smart enough now to have the experience to learn from that, you know, tragic experience, the consequences, and you don't have to repeat it. The same thing, like, do I have to, do I have to burn my hand on a stove to know that I shouldn't touch it? You know, in a less drastic, in a less drastic example, but why do I have to burn myself in order to know I don't, I shouldn't touch fire. Like it's hot enough and I can tell, and I can lurk, I can get the severity of it. If someone else burned themselves and they said, don't touch that, it's really hot. I don't, I'm not going to go, let me go check for myself. I'm going to take their word for it. I can learn from their experience, but only if I'm willing to reflect on it. Only if I'm willing to reflect on the fact that they said this was bad, don't do it. Just, just having the experience alone, it does it, or, or rather you don't necessarily have to have the experience yourself or suffer through the trauma of it to be able to learn from it. You don't have to, but if you thoroughly want to understand the lesson, then you have to have the experience. In my you opinion. have to be able to compartmentalize it somewhere. You have to have that that place to reflect and hold it. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I think, like, I, I would disagree. Like, I, I, like, you can, like, you can tell me, don't touch that. It's hot. Or you can tell me, like, listen, you know, when you start your company, George, and you gain all this success. You're going to be tempted by all these women around. You're going to have all this money. Don't cheat on your wife. You know, like there's all these things people can tell you that you should listen to because they're probably true, but you don't know they're true until you have found yourself in that position. Because I, you know, it's, it's human nature because just because someone ate this batch of mushrooms that killed them, it might not kill me. It might give me a euphoric experience. Like my body's a little bit different. And 90 they could be right 90% of the time. But that 10% of the people that make an attempt to try something that no one else can do, like that, that's kind of what moves us forward. Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Finally, someone steps up and is like, I'm going to do it. And then they do it. They fly across the Atlantic or they, you know, if, if we only use the reflections of our elders, I think we would be caught in a world of stagnation. Like on some level, ideas and rules are only temporary and they change and they change because someone has the courage to change them or someone is crazy enough to try to change them, you know, but I think that you, you can get an idea of the experience, but if you really want the experience, you're not denied it and you can take it. And there's, there's real value in there. Like, it's kind of like if you go to school and you learn from a, let, let's do this. So you went and you got a school, you got an MBA in business. Was the teacher that taught you, was, was one of your professors better at business than the guy that was actually running the business? Wasn't there, was there similarities and differences there? Because the guy that actually run the business has the experience of it. The guy that's teaching business may not have had the experience of it. Like those are two different things. Like you could have that guy's reflection, but it's probably better to have the guy's experience. I think experience Trump's reflection. So I don't think you can thoroughly learn unless you have the experience. I'm not saying you can't learn, but I don't think you can thoroughly understand the learning process. I don't think you could thoroughly be able to call yourself a real teacher unless you've had the experience. What do you think? 
I would say, yeah, because that's kind of a different different argument. I okay. think that the danger okay. is thinking that you can you should have one or the other. Like that, you have a both and. It's it's always an and. I, I would just. I'm, we're also just gonna we're gonna put the asterisk over the yeah, fact totally. that that it, the, the, the besides the fact that that conversation or that uh, analogy or anecdote started with the the cheating on your wife <laughs> part. I'm going to argue that that was meant to be omitted. Um, I'm not in charge of anything on this one. I, I don't think anybody should ever do that. Like that's probably one you can hold from reflection and know. And because too, you can, you can think about what you value in that moment right. and what's more important Agreed. to you. Right. So, so with that said though, it would never be one or the other, which, which is better, but rather that's the point is like, we all have these experiences. We yeah. all have our individual process right. and then it's up to us to make those decisions. But we could, you know, walk into every wall, walk into every glass window on <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah. I see what you're or saying. Or we could, we could choose to take on, you know, to someone, a good example would be like, you're stuck in a maze. Someone found a way out of it and they kept track. They move on with their life. They experienced it and they moved on. They never, never anything else to add a reflection to that. They experienced it. They got through it. They reflected on it. They made a map. Now that map is a useful tool for yeah. themselves. Should they ever be in that situation again, or someone else might find themselves in a situation. And in large part, I think that's the value of having conversations like the ones that, that we have. And like the ones on my podcast, where we talk about walking through challenging situations with someone is you've had these challenges now you have these reflections. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're valuable. The experience alone, not necessarily valuable. If if every day in that same, like you, you brought in the business analogy and like, yeah, like, is it valuable to have someone who's been running the business versus someone who just teaches it theoretically? Yeah, absolutely. Do they both have value? Absolutely. Would you prefer, if you had your choice, would you choose to learn from one or the other or both of them? Both I of would them. say both of them. Why not have both of them in yeah. the room? I can learn from them together, right? But if, if, if you did just have experience alone, then every day you have to walk through the same maze and you just continue to get lost and you never mm. remember. You don't save any memory. You don't save any bandwidth because you didn't reflect on it at all. You, you just get lost every single day. And you, you eventually you work really hard and get out of it. But what did you really learn from it if you didn't take that time to reflect? And in the same concept, if you have someone who's just a master map maker, is super good at making maps, but – they're like for these like really abstract and non you know non needed places where they don't connect to the people where they are. Then again, that's that's really useless because it's just like all of the books and all of the information that's out there in the world that we can't directly apply to our experience. But if right. on our experience, on our journey, we can connect with mentors, we can connect with leaders, we can connect with the point of view of what we need in that moment. If we're open and willing to learn from it, and this is what I tell myself all the time. Then, then we're going to maximize the the benefit of have having the experience and the reflection of the experience. Yeah, I I think that there's like a lot of great things on your podcast when you're bringing out the people and 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 mining these experts' ideas and their experience. And one thing I think that people get from listening to your podcast or listening to experts speak that have experience is the ability to slow down time. And what I mean by that is if I get this nugget of truth from you about the world of finance and I really take it to heart and I took time to reflect on it, when I find myself in the situation where I'm, I need to apply the lesson that you spoke about, it's almost like time slows down because I can hear your voice and I, I now have an awareness, mm. oh, I've heard about this before. And it's, it's just that, it's that split second between action and thought 
But there's mm. this, there's time in between there. Most people don't see it, or most people are not aware of it. But familiarity. A, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well put. Well put. You. It's there, and and that's what that experience can give you. That is. I don't think there's any monetary value on it. I, I, there's not enough money in the world to explain how valuable it is. What I'm saying to becoming aware of what can happen, to becoming right. aware of that situation when no one else is, is is worth its weight in gold. And, and that's why we have mentors. That's why we yes. have people who yeah. we admire. Like we talk to them because they share experiences yeah. with us. They share their perspectives on the experiences, and they say, "Ah." You're going through that now, aren't you? Like, oh, that's the, yeah, totally. I remember that. And you're like, yep. I've I've been there, I've seen that. And and because yeah. now we're going back to the brains for me, it's like because for them, it's definite, it's in the yeah. path. Yeah, it's concrete. We can well, talk but, about things that are concrete because they're not going to change. When we're experiencing it them them ourselves, they seem crazy because on another episode, a recent episode of the podcast, you know, we had a, 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 a psychology masters come on and he talked about anxiety. And the reason why we have anxiety is because we have hope. Mm. We, if we didn't have hope, then we wouldn't have anxiety. We would just have despair. We would just be lost. And we have the anxiety because we're in a situation, we're hopeful of it working out the best, but there's a chance that it will not. And that is what brings us a, a, a torment. That's what torments us is this uncertainty, this navigating ambiguity. And so that anxiety exists in that capacity. If we, if we can be aware of that, we can make, we can make better decisions, at least like you said, to slow down because the other way that our brain wants to work against us is that amygdala hijack, it flares up and that part of the brain lights up and it says, you're in danger, run away. Everything's a threat. And then it makes everything just Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Everything is the worst. But if you can slow things down in the face of that, in the face of that anxiety, in the face of those chemical reactions, we can make better decisions and use that wisdom from experience. Yeah. It's, it's well said. I, I love learning about those things because I think at some point in time, we all suffer from them. You know, I, I read a good quote too that said anxiety is being trapped in the future and depression is being trapped in the past. And if, mm. if you hold those two thoughts for a moment, like you could, I could see, you know, you can almost, when you speak to someone who tells you, look, I have an anxiety problem, you can ask them a few questions. And it does seem to me that they're worried about the future. They're worried about these things that they can't control. You know, they, they are doing exactly what you explained. And the same for people that are depressed. If it, it seems that they have, found themselves sometimes willingly wanting just to stay this old version of themselves. You know, it's, it's fascinating to, to think about the way in which we think, because especially when, when you take the role of a mentor, like you, you would just mentioned that here is someone that can see where you were. And it's like, Oh yeah, I remember that. And in a weird way, it, it's almost like moving through time. This person has the ability to point out the, potholes in the pathway when they walked it. it may not be the same path but they can show you the pitfalls oh hey there's a uh watch out for the dog leg on uh you know the uh seventh hole over there or right. something like that right <laughs> learn from someone else's experience right yeah. or do do i have to go out and immediately you know just immediately hook my ball into the woods because i didn't realize you know <laughs> like, can i learn from someone else's perspective and that's extremely relevant to me right there on the spot and i think that the operative word on, on that quote that was interesting is people who, and, and, and I'm not trying to belittle anyone's experience in any capacity with depression or anxiety. I, I am a human being. So I'm someone yeah. that experiences these things. Of course we all do, 
you know, everybody is willing to admit it at one level or not. And I think a large part of that, the, of the challenges that are unfortunate with dealing with things like depression and anxiety is, is, is of course, the worst part is feeling like you're the only one mm. and not, you know, not realizing that it's, it's something that we can work through together. And, and I, I hope that that's coming across. Everything would come across as a message of hope and not yeah. like a, I'm not trying to look down on anyone because I'm someone who certainly experiences these things as I'm, you know, I don't want to infer anything about you, but you know, we all, we all, we all go through human emotions. It's part of it. But the, the idea of being trapped, like you said, mm. it's the idea that I'm trapped in the past or trapped in the future. Um, I think that that, that's where you lose hope. And mm. without that, without that part is when you start to fall into the, and I was listening to another interesting podcast. It's not that any emotions or any thoughts that we have are good or bad. Right. It's that they're either appropriate or inappropriate. And I thought that that's an interesting perspective. That's where it's something worth reflecting on for myself, because there are times when you need to be, when, if you need to destroy something or break something down, then anger is a perfectly valid emotion. Yeah. Uh, it's a very appropriate emotion, right? Um, in the middle of, you know, there, there are times when, when sadness is it's, it's right to grieve and there is time and place and you, you create those, those safe spaces and, and the same thing for joy and happiness where it would be appropriate in some situations, but it probably wouldn't be, you know, when you're at the circus is one time where it's great to be joyful when you're at a funeral, it's, it's not. So it's not that emotions are good or bad. It's that they're either appropriate or, or inappropriate. Do you distinguish between like emotions and thoughts is are thoughts laden with emotion or are they connected in your opinion they that's a really cool question because another interesting perspective that i got um i think it was maybe it was by susan kane but she talks about quiet i, I don't want to get mm. the wrong author here it could be susan kane or it could be liz wiseman um i i don't have the direct the, the direct resource but you can look into the emotional intelligence and mm. Some, there's groundbreaking work on when you are able to distinguish your person, your personal emotions from the person who experiences the emotions. The the difference when someone when my, like myself and I've noticed like positive self talk is one thing, but also being careful with the, the choice of our words. You say I am sad mm. versus I feel sad, or I am happy versus I feel happy. I I am depressed versus I feel depressed. I am anxious versus I feel anxious. In one situation, you are you are establishing it as part of your identity. Your emotions are part of your identity. And in the other, you're able to distinguish your identity from the person who experiences these emotions. And I would say that that's been a really groundbreaking, that's a really groundbreaking breakthrough from, from myself to become someone who can distinguish myself and my identity from my emotions. I am not I am not depressed. I am someone who has been depressed. I I am not happy. I am someone who's been happy. I I, I am a human being, and I experience emotions, and 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 that's a really important distinction that isn't always isn't always made clear enough, especially as we we need to improve our emotional intelligence as a, as a species. Yeah, I think language patterns are a big big part of that. Not only are they a big part of it, but language patterns have been a big problem with it. You know, I, I think that we just think about the way language is structured. You have a subject and an object, but what mm. you're describing is an observer. How much better is your language or how much better is your life when you can be all of those people? But for so long, it seems to me 
that especially in Western thought, we have decided that verbal and linguistic skills are a higher order of thinking than mental imagery or, you know, the idea of the observer, like right. this subject object relationship is something that has penetrated Western thought, Western business, Western everything. And it's so narrowing and so precious, I guess, in some ways. It's so limiting. And we <laughs> talked, yes, thank you. We, we talked and, and that right there was the case in point, like the struggle <laughs> to find the word, the struggle to articulate. Yes. yes. If, you, if you said one word versus a different, you're like, I could jump in and give yeah, you one. It kills me. Maybe yeah. there's a better one. And you're like, yes, that's the right word I was yeah. looking for. Thank you. And like how many times <laughs> that's happened to me when I'm looking for the word on the spot, because that part of the brain is flying up. But like we talked about this prior, you know, in the hour before we talked on this podcast, like yeah. we rely so heavily on transcribing the human experience with language and what you say is like, what, what did he just say? <laughs> but it's 90, 90% of the 90% of the time, if you're talking about something that you're not completely fluent in, or you're not like an expert in, which is, you know, almost everything in the world, yeah, yeah. you are very likely to say the wrong thing <laughs> and it's going to trigger someone. It's going to get you in trouble It's because people aren't, not only are we imperfect at it ourselves, but we're so quick to beat down everyone else who's in, who's attempting. It's so rare that you find someone who's willing to sit with your thought and see the intent of it and, and wait and, and really try to understand what you're talking about. Like even with the previous example you talked about with experience and the, versus the theorem versus the application or the reality versus the, 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 the someone who's actually done it versus the someone who studies it vigorously. Like, what are you really trying to say? How, how many times can we say that we really sit back and we seek first to understand what someone's really trying to communicate to actually listen with full empathy mm -hmm. and give them a chance to, be to see them even the way that they wish that they could be seen because we struggle so much to find the words when we're trying to transcribe them ourselves. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds to me like you have a podcast where you've talked to a lot of incredible people and learned a lot. Let me ask you this. You might say that it's I'm, I'm honored <laughs> to have had that opportunity and, and to have built that opportunity with so many incredible people. Yeah. It's, you know, I heard a good, another good quote that said the, the things that you're interested in, those things are interested in you. And so mm. there's, there's some sort of qualities that, that you could probably, you know, since we're talking about mazes, we might as well talk about the Ariadne thread that runs through the maze. Have you found that thread that runs through the majority of people that you've spoken with? Is there something similar about all those people? I, I, I think I have. And oh, nice. I sum it up in, in the hardest way possible. Um, because it's it's such an intangible thing. I summed it up as there's there's two things that you see in every quote unquote successful story because success is something different to everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own individual maze. Everyone has their own path that we walk, but we can learn something from the reflections of each person on their walk. And I like what you said. You know, you know, that you're bringing a quote into it. There's another quote for for listeners because listeners like quotes. <laughs> Working hard doesn't guarantee success. But no one is successful without hard work. Mm. So on everyone's path, you see the same. Everyone's working hard. Everybody you talk to, they can tell you, they can tell you about how hard they're working. And, and, and we have a, what's called, you know, this is another psychological principle, but there's the fundamental attribution error, which in, when we're telling our stories and we're looking at other people's stories, this is a psycholo psychology principle. 
It's a, when we look at our success stories, we see everything that we did. We see mm. all the hard work that went into it. We see all the long nights. We see every challenge that presented itself to us and how we persevered and overcame it. And every time we had a bad experience or something went wrong, we have, oh, this was the excuse that got in the way. Or this was the thing, you know, the, like, oh, like I couldn't come because uh, my car didn't work. Okay. Like that's it, a legitimate, we have all these excuses because we have the full explanation for our own story. When we look at other people's stories, we say, wow, you got to where you are because you're really lucky. You got to where you are because you had a great head start. You had financial resources. You had all of these external things go really well for you. And everything that went wrong, wow, you were really lazy. You, <laughs> you, you didn't work that hard. You didn't stay up for like, you must have not been working long late nights like I was because I do that. And so we have this, this attribution error and they, they study it. And you can look in books, David, uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, where they, they literally prove this and they say, if, if you experienced these things, what would you say happened? And people would say, oh, well, I would say that it would, if, if you experienced these negative things, you'd say, oh, well, it was these external factors. It was all these excuses, all these things. Like if, if you saw someone else show up late because of these things, what would you say? You would say, well, they were probably disorganized. They're probably lazy. They're probably not on top of their stuff. And we get this disconnect. And it's like, how, how can you have both? Like how, how can you split and say like when someone else is successful – it's because of their, their luck. And when you're successful, it's because of your hard work. And when you're not successful, it's because of the external factors. And so when someone else is not successful, it's because of their, their own work ethic. It's just flipped. It's wrong. It's an error. And so I wanted to find a way that we can get better at telling people stories, really getting to connect and see them, witness them, go through the process of evolution with someone on their journey and learn together. And because of that, I would say what I've really come down and, and I've seen everyone's stories, no matter what path you're walking on, no matter what challenges you're facing, everybody will face challenges in their road. You can never be fully prepared for the road ahead, but those people prepare themselves and they lead with their heart in one hand and their hard work in the other. Heart and hard work. That's the name of the podcast. And that's why I love to be able to share the people that tr truly people's stories and what it's like to be on the journey with someone what it's like to walk alongside someone reflecting and growing and realizing like we started this conversation by talking about, we're not the victim of our circumstances. Yeah. I have another quote, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% what we make of it. There's yeah. just some, throw some math in there for people because this is, <laughs> we started talking about math, but life is 10% what happens to us, 90% what we make of it. And so we have the power to control that. The things that we can control, I learned this from sports. I learned this from rugby, mm -hmm. football, basketball, growing up, triathlons, we can't control everything that happens to us, but we can always control our effort and our attitude. And those things, the relationships, the empathy that we have for other people, you can put those things into the heart category. And then at the end of the day, you got to sit down, you got to be willing to grind. You got to be able to work hard at something. And so that's the heart and hard work. Though it it's kind of intangible, it's the North Star that says, when in doubt, put your effort into it and, and care about people. Wow, that is well said. That's really well said. I... I can't well, thank think you. of anything more I would add. It's beautiful. It's it's I like the way that heart and hard work go hand in hand together because you have to have your heart has to be in it to do hard work, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's plenty of room for puns in there. Like heart <laughs> when you're a coach, when you're an athlete, yeah. you always you, you use heart to describe the intangibles. You know, and and what's interesting too, if we talk about finance one more time, 
Yeah. More than ever, when you're evaluating companies, especially in Silicon Valley, like especially startups, especially uh, companies that don't have years and years of financial data, and even those that do, most of their valuation comes from adjustments for intangibles. And intangibles come from things like intellectual property, They're the talent, the, the culture, mm. the way that organizations and people work together. And so you you can't really there's no section on an accounting sheet for that. There's no yeah. there's no that's not a tangible asset. It's an intangible asset, but it's undeniably valuable. And for you to ignore that would be falling behind in the way that those things are adjusted for intangibles. And and even on some financial street um spreadsheets, they use those things in terms of they make the adjustment by looking at the 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 salaries. And so they, they add extra valuation based on the salaries. And they say, like, the more you're paying people, the more valuable they must be. And therefore, let's include that in the valuation of something. But that's just to say, for everything that is intangible, we as humans even try so hard to find it. I, I, I stopped trying to, I stopped trying to put a, a full thumbtack on it and full describe it because, like we said, it's, it's imperfect. Language is imperfect. Some things can only be experienced. But to me, heart has always been that special thing that can only be experience when you feel it and heart and hard work are the true north stars for everybody that i talk to who is successful who's in the pursuit of success who's challenging themselves to take on any form of uh any path that leads to their personal greatness so let, let, let's say in 20 years like you become the next joe rogan and you're sitting down as a mentor like what would you want the person that you are a mentor to, to be able to learn from you? If nothing else, and because for, as I'm trying to be a mentor, as, as I'm mentored by many, I mentor sure. some and I try to give back, giving along the way, right? I'm, right. I, who knows? 20 years isn't guaranteed. I would hope the thing that I could impart is ask better questions mm. is, is, because we're always looking for answers and no one has the answers. When you're a kid, you think parents have the answers. You think teachers have the answers. You think adults just grow up. And then you, you hit a point and you're like, I, yeah, I have to learn how to be an adult. And part of that is like, I have to make the decisions. Who's going to tell me I'm right or wrong? Probably only society. And like the, the people care about you, they can try to help you, but no one can tell you really if you're right or wrong, if you're making the decision for you. So the only thing you can do is ask better questions to give yourself more perspective. And I would hope that anyone that I'm working with and myself included, I'm constantly asking questions. I'm constantly being curious because the stories from the past have lessons, but they're nuggets. Like you said, yeah. they're not going to give us everything for the future. They give us nuggets to make sure we avoid what we should. We learn from what we can, but then we have to make the decisions for ourselves. And the only way we can make the most informed decisions is if we're curious and we're directly trying to apply all of the wisdom, all the experiences in ways that are useful for our path and our journey. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you use the questions like tools? Like, do you think like the how question is like a crescent wrench and the why question is like a screwdriver or are there different methods for using different kinds of questions that you've found? That's a fascinating question in itself, <laughs> which I love it because no one's ever asked me that before. But I love when people ask me questions because yeah. I'm always asking people questions yeah. to help them think. And I'm always, when someone asks me a good question, I'm like, I've never had to think about that before. Then my brain lights up. Yeah. And the, you know, the, I have a, a very pattern recognizing brain, which is associated with dyslexic thinking, which sure. I use, I harness as a superpower. But it, 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 
it makes me try to think of the analogy. It makes me try to think mm -hmm. of the way to explain it. It makes me try to think of the way to compartmentalize it, to hold it and be like, ah, yes, this makes sense to me. Now I can close the loop and move forward. And so trying to, trying to answer like a good question, like screwdriver and a why I don't, I don't, I have never been so granular about them as a specific tool yeah. and function. Although I do like Simon Sinek's approach to start with why have you read mm. that book? Simon, I haven't Sinek's. read it. I've seen start it, but I haven't read it. Start with why it's really great. I'm sure you can watch a YouTube video and get the cru like the crux of it. Um, but it, it really just says like when you start with why you really are you're really connecting with a great sense of purpose. Mm. And then how how is when you you close the loop on achieving that why like what is the plan is the strategies in 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 the things that it will allow you to execute and get closer to the the why and that what so it's why how what. And the what is what specifically needs to get done. Because at the end of the day, there needs to be action taken. But the, what's interesting, and, and you go back to kind of any any philosophical thinking, any psychological metacognitive thinking, and the things that we find a way to make possible on life and in our experience and in the world is always because they're solving a great problem. And for ourselves, if we can trick our brain, like we talked about previously, or like convince our brain that this is important, this is meaningful, if we have a big enough why, if our why is strong enough, we can sustain any how. If the if your why is great enough, you can sustain any how. And that's just, that's a quote that's truly been uh, a, a, another north star for me. And it's it's something that makes you be think like, do you want to learn Chinese? Do you really want to learn Chinese? Do you want to yeah. learn Spanish? Do you really want to learn like, or is it just like a cool party trick? Because do you want to mm -hmm. lose 10 pounds? Do you, do you really want to lose 10 pounds? Because you have to think about that hard and, and guys like David Goggins and yeah. Jocko Willings at discipline equals freedom, the, all those kinds of things. Like, do you, you're going to be really motivated to want something in the moment, but do you really want it? And if you don't have a strong sense of why this is me and my self-talk, if I don't have a strong sense of why. I don't really want it. And as soon as it gets hard, you, you come up to the first wall of adversity, you're not really going to come through. So if there was a, a strong tool, I would say that questions that are related to why are the strongest and the most important, because those are the ones in math. When you're a teacher, when someone really understands why you're doing something, you'll figure out the how, and then you, that, from that, you'll learn better what to go do. But if you have a strong, why, if your why is big enough, you can sustain any how. Yeah, that's well said. I once heard someone say on the topic of why to think about it, they used it as like a, they called it an RPM plan, a results focused, purpose driven, massive action plan. And if you can come up with that, that will help you get to why. And so, you know, what are the results? You know, you're going to focus on the results and then what are the, what's the purpose of it? And then what's your plan? And then that's kind of, you know, there's, it's also like a car, like an RPM plan. Like the, the more you put into it, the higher up it goes, the more energy it gives your why. But yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> I've found that how questions are a great way to stop looping thought in yourself or in other people. If you're sitting down to like a crucial conversation and you're having this discussion about things, you can reflect with something like, well, how if, for example, someone will say, you know what, George? I, I think that you were doing these things wrong and you could have gone and done, you know, this is wrong here and that's wrong there. If you just stop and say something like, well, how would you have done it better? That interrupts people's thought patterns and they have mm. to stop saying things and begin thinking things. And so they have to internalize it. Yeah. And then it's a great way for you as an individual to kind of level the playing field or catch a breath for both people. And f it's almost like a tactical empathy, right? Like where they, 
where you trying to force them to see it from your point of view, but how questions work that way. And that's, that's where I got it. The idea of a tool, like a screwdriver, you're going to turn it a little bit. I'm going to turn the tables a little bit. I'm going to use this screwdriver huh. known as how. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's an interesting technique because asking questions as well is a great way to gain influence for your sure. ideas. Because if you ask someone a question, you bypass their dismissive filter. If you give someone an idea, they're like, nah, it's not a good idea. But if you ask them, <laughs> yeah, totally. How, how do you like, you know, like, like what's a simple example? Like say you want to buy paper towel A instead of paper towel B. Maybe paper towel B is twice as expensive. And I guess, I don't know, like you're, you're this is just a random example. that's totally coming to mind because I'm looking at a roll of paper towels. But you want someone to buy paper towel A instead of paper towel B or make any business deal A instead of business deal B. Yeah. You say, hey, I think A is a really good choice. And they're like, nah, I like B. But if you can instead ask a question, say, why is B better? You know, like you, you can, you can get to like, have you like, why is a, you know, why not a right asking them that question then having to have them justify it. I think both parties end up more satisfied because you either, you either get a full explanation and a full detailed reason. And you, you go through like a principle based analysis of decision-making, which we talked about previously, or someone has a genuine reason why B is better than a in the decision. Like there's a, there's a reason why I needed that one because I've bought a in the past and it didn't, it wasn't up to the quality that I needed for the, for the project that we, you know, that I need to clean up or the, for the messes that my kids are making or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, like there's a decision. The point being like, if you ask someone a question instead of telling them an idea, then they're more likely to be like, Hey, how do you think we can, how do you think we can clean up this mess? You know, like, I don't know. Maybe we should get like paper towels. Like, oh, okay. We got paper towel. Hey, here they are. And you're like, Oh, okay, great. You know, you never even came to a decision criteria. You can kind of bypass that because you slipped in with a question and it's an interesting way to gain influence as well, but yeah, not, not meant to be deceived, but it's, it goes to show like how questions when you're, when you're interested in solving problems with people asking the question, how that is in my own reflection, a, a great way to get people on board as well. Yeah. It, there's a great book called, um, never split the difference by Chris Voss. And he's like, yeah, the world's lead, right. Pretty good. That's what he yeah, comes up with great. practical empathy. Why, why do you think when I say a, you automatically say B like, why do people do that? uh, autonomy. Mm. I'm not the expert. There's, there's right. tons of reasons, right? We're just, if we're just talking in the most general right. constructs, like there's another book, uh, influence by mm. Robert Cialdini, yep. who's, yep. who's heavily involved with, with Chris. Um, they, they, they have some overlaps in their work, not that they're heavily involved, but there's a lot of, um, references between the two. And, um, when you, when you have the premise being when you take away someone's autonomy. They almost, they almost want to do something in spite. Like think when you're a kid and your parents tell you, you can't do something you like, don't jump on the couch. You're like, mm, all I want to do now is jump on the couch. Right. Because I'm <laughs> totally. not supposed to, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. Like if someone tells you that you're not supposed to, you're, you know, you're not supposed to run. If you're an athlete, don't, you know, don't run in the morning or like running. You're like, whatever. I, I've been doing this forever. If someone comes up and tries to correct you in a way that takes away your autonomy, it, for me, it makes me say, forget you. I want to go do this. I'm going to do it my way. Anyway, you know, like you think I can't do it. Like most of the time there's like that gut reaction. Cause it's trying to take away autonomy or, you know, whatever, proving you wrong, or maybe putting you in a, in a box, you want to prove them wrong. But if someone would come up to me instead and say like, like, Oh, like, like, like why are you doing something that way? And then I gave my explanation. They'd be like, Oh, okay. And they walked on. And then I'd be like, well, why do you ask? And then maybe I'm like, well, how would you do it? Would you, like you said, would you do it better? And then, you know, it invites the conversation yeah. for improvement versus yeah. the way when you come up and you try to give someone advice that they didn't ask for, it makes them almost just want to dismiss it. So for me personally, I fall into the category of giving people advice when they didn't ask for it because 
I often conflate the people who come and ask me for advice with the people who are just trying to vent. I mean, I think any guy that's ever been in a relationship can relate to, you know, trying to solve a problem when you were just supposed to listen and, uh, just the, the, the trouble yeah. that that'll get you in. But if you instead just say like, wow, that, that really stinks. Or like, how does that make you feel? And waiting for someone to invite you into the solution. That's, that's a massively different scenario. If you're invited into the solution with a question versus trying to interject one. Yeah, that's a great distinction. And I think people would be well to remember that distinction, especially in relationships, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, fascinating. I get, my, I get myself in enough trouble, but I'm lucky my partner is very understanding and uh, patient with me. So, yeah, that's where you really learn about influence and, and conversation and <laughs> empathy is if you can have a long lasting relationship, I think it becomes fulfilling because you thoroughly understand communication or hopefully both of you understand communication or you're learning together communication. But I, I, I'm curious, like when we talk about these different techniques in Caldini, like I think Caldini ran, I think he ran Hillary's campaign or I don't know if he ran it, but he was like an influence in it. We started thinking about influence. And then when I start thinking about influence, I think about Cass Sunstein and Richard Thaler. And that takes us all the way back to economics in a way, because in some ways economics equal influence and influence equals sort of uh, finance, right? Like there's a lot of influence in finance and a lot of decision-making in finance. And a lot of, it seems to me that a lot of people spend lots of money, especially advertising agencies, trying to harness these powers of influence and decision-making so that they can get you to spend a few extra dollars. How, what do you think is the relationship between influence and finance? There's certainly there's certainly correlation, but uh, when right. you when you think about finance, everything. What's interesting is when you have a relationship with someone and you're shaking mm -hmm. hands and you're just, hey, I trust you. I want to work with you. I like working with you. Let's have a podcast conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Not when you get into a financial discussion, it immediately becomes what's it that that, that cost benefit analysis. Right. What am I giving up now? For the future show me the data why is this decision a good decision to make right now instead of like i i just trust you i enjoy you and i'm going to go with my gut yeah and and in large and it, i would say like finance in finance in large part brings people influence because it says like hey why mm. should i do this why should i spend my time with you right well look at these numbers in a concrete way if you spend this time with me here or if we invest in this decision together we get back two times as much okay i'm in versus on the other side is like, Hey, I, I really like you. I just don't know. I, I can't really, I can't really prove, I can't really justify this to my, to my, to people who I have to, who I have to, you know, answer to. So I would say that finance, it becomes that tool that mm. helps us be more certain in our decision-making and be convinced that what we're doing is justified. Yeah. The more that I learn, the more I, I really admire the idea of the relationship between things, you know, it's almost like, and, and this brings us back to abstract geometrical forms. You know, I, I think that the, one of the things that, that I never really learned about in geometry was that they are showing us relationships. Like if you mm -hmm. think of like a tesseract or some sort of abstract geometric form, no matter how big or small, What's really beautiful about it is the way it relates to itself. And I think that if, if you spend time just looking at like mandalas or, you know, 
if you have long periods of high doses of psilocybin or psychedelics, I think it, I think seeing those forms is a great way to understand relationships. And it, it would be an interesting way to teach kids math is instead of teaching it from like a, in the way it was taught to me, like this dry format of like, these are the numbers, this is this, like, Hey, I'm going to teach you about relationships today. Like, look at this, see how this number fits over here. Like they kind of fit together. And that brings us to the idea of, you know, if you look at different alphabets, like the Greek alphabet or the Hebrew alphabet, those are numbers and letters. You know, how much better would our world be if the language and letters that we use corresponded directly to mathematics, you know, or, or maybe it does. We just don't know about it. I kind of bird walking here, but it's <laughs> crazy to think about, right? It is, it is interesting. And you know, it's, it, the question is always like of the critique of the education system too, is like, what, why don't students get creative based learning, discovery based learning? And yeah. the, the answer always comes down to time. Mm. It always comes down to like, if you could put people in a setting where time didn't matter and, and they were free to just explore and they, they could, you know, like, Hey, like, wouldn't it be fun to build this tower? And they'd be like, Oh yeah, let's do it. You know, like, and over time as the tower, the kid, I can just picture kids like myself with my like Legos or, you know, <laughs> totally. building blocks, let's say not Legos cause they would stick together, but you start to build up the tower and then you notice it falls down. Like, Oh, what? Like, oh, like, like how could we build this tower that goes higher? Like, you know, like you get, get the student to ask that question. Like I said, yeah. like find a way yeah. to ask better questions. How could we, you know, because once you ask a question, you burn the place in the, in your mindset, you, you burn the little hole for it. I think about it like searing yeah. a little, like, but I never learn. I never learn what I need to learn unless I ask the question or until I try to answer someone else's question and I'm unable to, then I'm like, I got to go back and learn yeah. this. Yep. And then my brain remembers it because it, it, because I seared a little place for it. Now it has a little tiny hole. It has a little tiny home in my brain. And I call on that next time it's needed because it's like, you learn from that mistake. You learn from that little, you know, that little paper cut. But if you could create that, that inquisition and like when I used to teach and we used to try to create that. And when, when there, when there was time, that's when students learned the most, had the most fun and, and just, it was the most enjoyable experience for everyone. And if, if students are in that yeah. environment now, it's really hard to create. I'm not saying like teachers aren't doing a good enough job. It's, it's, there's so many external pressures that make it challenging. But what, what I do know is when students are in that position where they can ask the questions themselves, it's like, well, how could we make this tower stronger? Like, well, well, maybe, maybe it has to be symmetrical. Like, oh, it has to be symmetrical. Like, well, like, like it should, it shouldn't be leaning to one side versus the other. Like, Oh, like how could we do that? Oh, well then the angle at the bottom must be the angle at the top. Like you're like, okay. And then you're, you're I'm just, cause you said geometry. You're like, well, wait a minute. Is that always true? Is that, is that yeah. angle, you know? And then like through the process of discovery and inquisition leading to like, Oh, these angles are they're, they're, they're if they're on the alternate side of the inside. So maybe the interior, the alternate interior angles, they're congruent. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, like, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, and if they're congruent, we'll have a symmetrical tower and we can, we can have the, the, the tallest tower possible, you know, cause kids are really motivated. They want to, they want to succeed. They want to learn these things. But when you're just sitting in a classroom and you're like, memorize this and memorize this and memorize this because we're going to be assessed. It makes it really challenging. And, and yeah. it's, 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 I'm not critiquing any one particular person other than the, the way that the system, like a system like that is set up that makes it really challenging to create discovery based inquiry based learning but how effective it would be and how cool it would be if everybody had a chance to interact with every subject like that, just going through from an inquiry-based, you know, curiosity-based way of, uh, of approaching 
learning and being a growth minded learner in our world. Yeah. I got, after we're done, I got a ton of books. I'll send you. They're all audiobooks. One of one that talks about this is a guy named John Taylor Gatto. And he was like, uh, have you read that guy's stuff? Wow. I don't know. No, I, I maybe. Oh, I'll send it to you. Don't worry. And, uh, it's, just, it's, it's fascinating. He was like teacher of the year for like five years running in New York. I think, I think up, maybe upstate New York or something. And he's taught at like these really prestigious schools. And then he just got fed up with all the politics. He's like, I'm going to go teach at like the worst school. And so they're like, yeah, good luck with that. But he goes to like the worst school and he figures I'll out. I'll show you. Like, yeah, totally. To, to. He's one of us. He's like, oh yeah. Okay. Let me show you this. <laughs> and he figures out that like, you know, there were kids that were having gun violence and he like brings the kid. He's like, like one kid, one of the kids brought a, one of the kids brought a gun to school and he's like, you know, that thing works. And the guy's like, yeah. And he's like, well, let me see you draw it out then. The kids like tries to draw it out and he's like, mm, not really. Let me show you how it works. And he's like, how would you make it better? You know, and huh. then, like he started giving kids time off. Like, look, I want you to build a business. And kids are like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. And he's like, well, congratulations. Nobody does when they're your age. What do you want to do? And the kid was like, I want to, I want to be able to like build a swimming pool gym. And he's like, well, how would you do that? The kid's like, I don't know. And he's like, okay, well, here's what you're going to do. Every day, instead of coming to class, you're going to go down to the water gym down there. And I want you to take notes, start talking to people. And at the end of the week, you come back here and you tell me what you learned. And he did this for like the whole class. He ended up getting in trouble because like the principal came in like, where are all the kids at? And he's like, they're on a, a fact-finding mission. <laughs> but like all the kids, it's such a beautiful book. And like the guy just really talks about teaching and how, you know, it's not that every now and then we find an Elon Musk in the populace. It's that we, everyone's an Elon Musk in the populace. It's just they've never really had the ability to have it brought out because they haven't had the time or they haven't had someone believe in them enough. Or, you know, there's a lot of, maybe not everyone's an Elon Musk, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of genius out there that's not being fed. And when that happens, when we stop feeding the genius, we're left with poverty because we're not feeding the farm around us. There's, uh, there's a quote that says, you know, if you're a farmer and you have a hundred acres, but yet you only farm one acre, you shouldn't blame anybody for not getting the yield. That's your, you have a hundred acres and you're only using one. It's the same with the people in the country you live in. Like everybody's a potential acre of land that could be producing beautiful fruit or something. And we're, they're just not given the opportunity, I think, in some ways, whether the opportunity is education or something like that. But Sure. I think, you know, as I'm like, I'm sure as a listener, like listening to the gun story would have to like, what are you kidding me? Yeah. And like, like, like for yeah. no, for, for no mark of, of saying like condoning anything that he did one way or another. Right. Uh, just, just to say what, what's, you know, to your point about maybe not everyone's Elon Musk is that does everyone have to be? And like, just the point yes, being that point. there's a vast amount of untapped potential, whether you're at an Elon Musk level, if we're going to try to objectively say that that's right. like a very high top level, well or said. you're at an Einstein level, or you're at a Mozart, whatever you're going to use as, as you're like, try to make an objective standard. Just look at your, look at ourselves yeah. and, and, and understand there is so much untapped potential in ourselves. Yeah. I know there's so much untapped potential in myself, and I would love if the people around me also saw that instead of writing it off to every other excuse because – anxiety yeah. because of external social yeah. norm. insert insert excuse um just there's so much untapped potential and if we did have the time and the tools and the mentorship and someone to help 
look over our shoulder and help us get a little bit closer or take the next step on our personal path or on our personal journey in our own development, one step closer towards that potential, how much more we could all achieve. And, and, and it's just the one thing that keeps holding us all back is, is ourselves and our limited view of ourselves. Yeah. It sounds to me like that's part of the heart in your podcast. The message that you're getting out to people is this idea of how to tap the untapped potential. And you're, it, it's so, I like I'm honored the lesson. You would say that. <laughs> yeah, well, I <laughs> mean, you. just listening to you, I, I I get the, I feel the heart. But I, more than that, I can see, I can see it on a couple levels. Like you're talking to someone with more experience. Meanwhile, you're gaining their experience, but simultaneously mentoring other people. Like, and that person that's, that you're mentoring, they can see the different levels. The same way that you can see the different levels, and the same way that the guy above you can see different levels. But you just have different perspectives of those levels. It's a beautiful chain of learning. It's a beautiful chain of education and kind of harkens back to classical times, I think. And right now, more than ever, I, I think the world is in, you know, is changing. And it's really, I think it's really phenomenal. I'm grateful to get to talk to you because I think people that are wanting to change the world with, with your podcast, with my podcast, everybody out there that wants to change the world, you have a real opportunity to do it right now. And I think you'll find it very rewarding and beautiful and It'll change you in ways that you didn't know you needed to be changed for the better. It'll change your relationships. It'll change the way you see the world and change the way you think. I I know um, we've, we've been talking for quite a bit here, and I don't want to keep you too much on time, Rob. I gotta, I, yeah. I've got a few things. I'm sure you got a couple things coming up. So, But before I let you go, please tell people where they can find you, what you have coming up, and what you're excited about. Most definitely. And, I, and I'll say, first of all, I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with Me you. Me too. And, Thank you. And on this podcast, like like you said, people trying to change the world, It's the world is changing so rapidly. So the same methods that worked in the past are not going to continue to work. What got <laughs> us here won't get us there. So I want to be a part of helping people realize that potential because I want to be a part of it myself. And anyone who's yeah. been in a teacher and a learner mode or in, in, on both sides of the equations for myself from having been a teacher and been being in the, the lifelong learner seat, I know I, you're always learning in both situations. And so I am, am truly grateful for the chance to learn on this podcast, for, the, for everyone that I'm with and have a chance to learn. I have my own podcast, which is Heart and Hard Work Podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple. It's really designed for the people who want to ask those questions, want to have a chance to take a walk with extraordinary people, going through their process, sharing reflections and, and reflecting and growing together, asking questions of ourselves, looking on things that we, we, I don't say like wish that we could have done differently, but just reflecting on our experiences so that we can make better, better decisions and show up as our teammates, leaders, and friends today. And, and so that's exciting me for the future as well as I'm going to continue having this podcast for years to come so that I can look back in the next 10 years in the next 20 years and say, I've been, look how long I've been doing this for and how much better I've been getting at it. You know, that's, what's really inspiring me and lighting me up is not because I'm the best podcast host in the world or because I had all these opportunities because we're out here building it. We're rolling with it. We're changing with the world. We're growing and we're reflecting together. And that's, that's all anyone can do. So to try to capture the spirit of that in the heart and hard work of someone in a 30 minute conversation <laughs> while you're drinking, you know, having your drink in the morning, going for a walk, making your coffee, whatever it is, like just taking a little bit of time to reflect and grow together, I think is, is what inspires me the most. And just knowing that it's, it's only the beginning. So I'm honored to have shared this experience with you. 
Yeah, was, I'm grateful for it too, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I think people will, if they enjoyed this conversation, then they're going to enjoy the conversation you have with your guests tenfold. And they should definitely check out the links. I got your LinkedIn and I have the heart and hard work podcast link in the show notes down there. And um, yeah, I will uh, look forward to future conversations with you. Maybe, yeah, I'll look, maybe I'll one look day forward to welcoming on you podcast. on an episode. They'll have okay. to, the challenge will be limiting it to, to, for time, but we, that's something that I can look forward to. You can look forward to, we can, we can look forward to an episode together where we share some of those reflections from your phenomenal experience, what it's been like on this podcast and the, just going through the stages of life. So that'll be excellent to share. I'm on Man, I'm, I'm super excited for it. So ladies and gentlemen, that's all we got for today. I really appreciate your time. Check out Rob, check out the, uh, true life podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow with some more for everybody. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.